welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Well, welcome. Today on the show, I have something different for you. We're not focusing on financial planning per se. We're focusing generally on business owner wellness, which of course is of course linked to your overall productivity and financial welfare. Uh, and for this, I brought on a uh, friend and colleague of mine, a Johnny Charles. A Johnny Charles is an accomplished visual artist and mental health advocate. And I brought him on the podcast specifically to talk about mindfulness and how it can help support you in both productivity and just general happiness in life. And with that, here's my interview with Johnny. Johnny, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Very excited to uh, talk about these topics. Well, we always have a good time when we talk about these things because I don't know how many other people in your life you talk about this stuff with regularly with. <laughs> I don't have that many, so it's great. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is you do. Well, I'm a, I'm a photographer, director, producer, and mental health advocate. That can be summarized as being a visual artist and mental health advocate. Everything I do is interrelated. Um, I'm very passionate about my career path, my vocations, um, and I'm, I'm grateful that we, we met. You know, I view you as being uh, not only a, a client and colleague, but also a mentor and a friend. And um, I came to you a long time ago because I knew that my, I was lacking in knowledge when it came to business and entrepreneurship. And uh, I've learned a lot through our conversations over the years. So uh, it's an honor to be here. Well, thank you. It's uh, again, I do a few years of friend and colleague as well. So very much appreciate that. And for those of you who ever wonder who handles my fantastic photography um, is the gentleman speaking on this line. I get the boast that I share a photographer with uh, countless hip hop stars, including Drake. So I am at the bottom of his client list, but nevertheless, I, and nowhere near as photogenic, but anyway, let's move on. So um, tell us about First of all, let's let's define mindfulness and what comes with it. And then we'll, then I want to talk about your history in that space and what brought you to it. And then we can explore uh, the applications of it. So, so what is in your in your definition mindfulness? Mindfulness is present moment awareness. Mindfulness is being here and now and being aware and cognizant of what is happening in one's immediate environment, in one's body, and throughout one's consciousness without judgment. That's a key point. Mindfulness is a non-judgmental present moment awareness. Yeah, we're going to come back to that point on judgment shortly because that is a big, big, big matter. So tell me about how your journey with mindfulness started and and where it's gotten to you, where you've gotten to with it. My journey with mindfulness came from having, from experiencing a profound lack of mindfulness, a profound lack of self-awareness and self-acceptance. I experienced an existential crisis in 2014 and I've had, I've been on the same career path since my early 20s, and um, I wouldn't change my career path uh, for anything. It's very fulfilling, and I love it. However, the way that I was going about my career and my businesses in 2014 and before was incredibly unhealthy and misaligned with my many goals and values, which were not explicitly articulated at the time. Also, my relationships with others, my relationship with myself, my relationship to humanity was incredibly unhealthy uh, prior to 2014. All of that came to a head in August of 2014, where I realized that the trajectory of my life was an unhealthy and unsustainable one. 
I was feeling very unfulfilled and unhappy about most of my, my relationships. And I was seeking tools to provide me with some insights about how I came to that point and how I was operating in the world and who I wanted to be and how to move forward. So at the time, it seemed like a, a curse. But in retrospect, the, that existential crisis, which brought every aspect of my life into question, was um, one of the greatest blessings that I've experienced. And uh, I still struggle with many of the things that I was experiencing at that time. But I have so much more insight and perspective into my suffering in the present. And I know that these things are temporary and I have support systems that didn't exist before. And one of the core messages there too, is you say, I still have those in my life. I mean, the reality is, is that no one ever gets to full fulfillment, right? Like it's at the end of the day, we're, we're all constantly our own ever extending and ever ongoing projects, right? So talk to me about what mechanisms and, and tool sets uh, are involved in developing mindfulness. There are many ways to go about cultivating mindfulness, which again is um, non-judgmental present moment awareness. In the beginning, I began a very modest meditation practice using the Calm app. And I'm very fortunate to have gone on to work with the, the Calm team on a, on a number of projects. So initially, I was so scared of diving into my conscious mind. Physically, it was just difficult for me to sit for extended periods of time. And I had an aversion towards my thoughts, the sensations of my body, and facing myself ultimately. So I began meditating a minute or two every few days, and I'd be very inconsistent using the Calm app. Eventually, since I had stopped engaging in certain relationships and activities, such as drinking, going to nightclubs, et cetera, I had so much extra time that eventually I filled that extra time with new habits, new relationships that were far more adaptive and far more conducive to my goals. And eventually that those one or two minutes of meditation evolved into 10 to 20 minutes per day. So I've been meditating daily with and without the Calm app every single day, with the exception of a couple of days uh, since 2014. Also, one of my friends um, owned a, a sensory deprivation spa in close to the North York District of Toronto. It has since closed, but meditating in sensory deprivation tanks, otherwise known as flow tanks, for an hour per week for a couple of years helped me. It fast-tracked me in terms of my meditation practice. I was no longer scared of meditating for extended periods of time. After that, I started joining different mindfulness and meditation communities, different spiritual groups, and learning about uh, introspection, meditation, and other ways of cultivating mindfulness. One of them is the Consciousness Explorers Club, which was founded by Jeff Warren, who's one of the instructors in the Calm app, coincidentally. And um, through the Consciousness Explorers Club, I realized that, oh, wow, I can meditate for two hours. So eventually by aligning myself with people who are promoting and cultivating mindfulness on a daily basis, I started doing the same. I also started learning about flow states. And uh, flow states are basically states of present moment awareness that are cultivated through activities, activities that are not so challenging that they paralyze one with anxiety and um, self-doubt, but not so easy that they induce boredom. It's like the sweet spot where you're in the zone. That's what a flow state is. So once I started learning about flow states, I realized that I've been engaging in flow states since childhood as an artist. 
and also as an athlete. So once I learned about flow states, I started going about cultivating flow states intentionally, practicing the different crafts that define my career path and businesses on a more regular basis. So my day-to-day life involves cultivating mindfulness at this point. And I have lapses in mindfulness all the time. And I have many fears and insecurities that stem from childhood that still exist. But through the cultivation of mindfulness, I'm able to navigate them more gracefully and I'm able to let them go more gracefully than I thought was possible before 2014. Yeah. I mean, I'll share a little bit about my journey on this uh, for the listeners too. I mean, I came into meditation by way of the Tim Ferriss podcast, and he would speak to a lot of top performers around the world and talk about routines. And almost universally, they all talked about meditation in the morning. I'm like, okay, I've got to explore this. So between, I used a different app at the time. It was Headspace and a couple, read a couple books on it, 10% Happier by, I think it's Dan Harris. Is that right? And then another one uh, specifically on a university professor on the subject. And you know, they were both insightful and took away some of the, before I even started trying, it was took away some of the kind of, am I going to do this right? I'm just sitting here with my eyes closed, kind of that entire kind of intimidation factor. And I will say that after about three months of doing it, I actually started apologizing to people in my life for having been such a jerk in some instances in the past, because we talked about metacognition and the ability to recognize yourself in your own moment. But you also recognize just how poorly you were handling things because you were just, you're running on pure adrenaline sometimes, right? Like you're running on, on you're just moving from action to action. And maybe, you know, you're acting like a bit of a jerk, but you can't, you can't like stop yourself in that moment. This really gets in the way of it. And one of the other things that helped in that regard too, and this is a flow state, type exercise. Martial arts are particularly good at flow, uh, at inducing flow states. And I would actually say one of the things that makes Brazilian jiu-jitsu incredibly addictive for anyone who does it is the fact that when you're when you're sparring in it, yeah, it's competitive, but you're not you're not trying to hurt each other. You're 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 not crushing each other as long as you got a good partner. And I find that is one thing that seems to induce flow states in everybody once they get to a certain level. And it literally became a form of meditation for me to some degree too. So I, I just know that. And I also know that when I, when I go through periods where I don't, I'm not meditating as frequently, which for me, it's been, sometimes I'll go weeks or months. I can, after about two weeks, feel a physical change in myself. That is not pleasant from the lack of it. And what started off as a difficult exercise where I wasn't sure if I was doing it right becomes an exercise where I would rather spend more time doing it than less. So, cause it just, I, I, cause I get so much out of it, but anyway, that's mine. So let's, I want to come back to the judgment part, cause that's a big component here. A lot of our, especially highly driven people and business owners, I think too, like a lot of, there's a lot of self judgment and pushing ourselves to be better, harder. We're doing something wrong. We got to get, you know, we got to fix it. Talk to me about the concept of self judgment in this framework and how, and how limiting judgment in the moment is actually beneficial. Absolutely. First, I want to say that one of the reasons the cultivation of mindfulness is important for entrepreneurs and small business owners, especially entrepreneurs and small business owners that are highly ambitious, is because the journey of entrepreneurship is going to put one through every emotion imaginable. And the highs and lows can be extreme. As every listener of this podcast has heard me say several times, it is the single most bipolar thing you could ever choose to do to yourself. Like it is, you're absolutely right. Some days you're king of the world. Other (laughs) days you're like, what am I doing to myself? Why did I do this? I, you know, like I could have had an easier life or I'm going to fail. Like, oh man, it is, it is a roller coaster. Yeah. It's an absolute roller coaster, especially if you're high in conscientiousness and you're taking care of your team, taking care of your clients and possibly neglecting yourself in the process, mindfulness will help you to navigate all of that. The cultivation of mindfulness will help to regulate emotions and will help the entrepreneur to notice 
the different patterns that they're engaging in and why they've gone about cultivating certain relationships and, and so on and so forth. And um, as far as self-judgment and judgment of others is concerned, something that I've learned through my journey through the cultivation of mindfulness and psychotherapy is that our judgments of others are usually our judgments of ourselves projected outward. So for example, if I view someone as being lazy, it's because on a daily basis, I suppress the aspects of myself that are lazy and easygoing. Mm-hmm. So then it, that, that quality almost disgusts me, but it's because I haven't accepted it in myself and I would be better served to take more breaks. And, you know, I'm highly perfectionistic. Workaholism is something that I've struggled with for a long time. And uh, mindfulness has helped me to break that patterns, break that pattern, not consistently yet, but it allows me to notice when I'm going on workaholic tangents and why I'm going on workaholic tangents. What is the source of the discontent that's causing me to push myself far past my limits, both physically and psychologically? So... I would argue that the cultivation of mindfulness, whether it's through meditation, flow states, journaling, et cetera, probably some of the, one of the most important skills that, in, that a small business owner can possess. I think what people feel or understand about this, they often think like, I don't have time for anything, let alone this. And there's kind of an old saying that says, if you don't have, you don't have the time to meditate for 10 minutes, you probably should meditate for an hour. And the reality is what's counterintuitive about it. It's so such a restorative procedure that your ability to to basically get more done than in your previous state is misunderstood. Like you can get, you can, you can sacrifice 10 minutes and you'll be more productive for the rest of the day because of it. I remember two stories with this one. One was uh, in one episode of Jerry Seinfeld's comedian, comedians driving cars and getting coffee, whatever it's called. He specifically talked about how he discovered transcendental meditation after he uh, left, after Seinfeld was over and he left, he finished Seinfeld because he was burnt. He was completely burnt out. He said, if I had discovered this then, that show could have gone on for another 10 years because right? he felt it was that restorative. The second story I'll give is, um, it has to, I think I've talked about this before, with um, there's a business coach or business program called the Strategic Coach with Dan Sullivan, where he talks about how business owners have it backwards. We work ourselves to the, to, the, to the bone until we are so burnt out we need a vacation. We then, but our productivity drops like a rock towards the tail end of that. And then we take a vacation, we come back restored, and we are super productive. And then we do it again. And <laughs> he's saying... Flip the model, take the vacation to be productive. And before you hit that crisis moment, take another vacation. And it's not quite the same message, but it's the same thinking, right? It's, it's the res- restoration in order to be productive. And you are far more productive if you are restored. I, I totally agree. And um, I like intellectually, I know all of this and I meditate every day. I practice Hatha yoga and other forms of yoga every day. And I still get stuck in neurotic patterns of workaholism and perfectionism. And also because of my mindfulness practices and um, practices that would fall under the realm of physical exercise, my capacity to do more has increased. But what happens is when I have lapses in mindfulness and I start pushing myself further and further, it's, it's like now I'm more effective workaholic. <laughs> so I'm starting to break out of that pattern um, yeah. at this point. But um, yeah, since business is inherently competitive, um, all small business owners, all entrepreneurs have competition within the markets that they're in. And I can say from the data that I've looked at, as far as the science related to mindfulness practices is concerned, and also based on my personal experiences, that you become hard to compete with 
when you engage in these practices. You're able to notice things about yourself, others, and you're able to see opportunities that would completely elude you without the cultivation of mindfulness. It's the most incredible competitive advantage. Had I known that my life and relationships would change in the way that they have through the cultivation of mindfulness, had I known that in my early 20s or as a teenager, I would have started meditating every day then. Well, and I will say it's good because, you know, mindfulness is actually starting to be incorporated in curriculum to school. So I'm glad for that. And even, even with my own children who are very young, right, when they're, when they are, actually, it's a funny story. My son was three and a half years old when this happened. And when he was freaking out, I'd always tell him just, okay, you're upset, breathe, take a deep breath, breathe out, you're going to feel better, right? And I just kind of coach him through that. And he wouldn't always leave his three and a half year old. So how much of it got through? And one time my wife was really upset about something and this three and a half year old boy goes and grabs her face like, mommy, take a deep breath, take a deep breath and breathe out. You're going to feel better. Take a deep breath. It's going to be a feel better. And I'm just like, okay, at least it's hilarious. Three and a half, at least he's got some semblance of mindfulness. So I'm, I'm <laughs> mission accomplished on that front. Lots more lessons to go, but it was quite amusing to watch. So let's talk about a couple other things. The um, Actually, one more story comes to mind. This is funny. There's a highly successful business owner that I know of that often enters into massive large-scale negotiations. And essentially what happened, what, what this guy was these negotiations were so crucial to him. He wanted he wanted to nothing to let him slip, to slip with them. And to the point of where he would literally go get blood tests, would get done by clinics like the day before he went to make sure that nothing was off in any way, shape or form. He wanted to be level. He wanted to be whatever it was. He had a routine uh, that he would basically follow prior to and mindfulness was part of that. And because he wanted to be, quote unquote, the razor's edge of focus when it came time for that, that crucial moment. So it was... Um, it's just, it's just funny because again, it's this counterproductive, counterintuitive thing that it's taking time to not work. It's actually going to make you so much better at work. Right. And another important thing about mindfulness, it, it brings forth the subconscious mind or what Carl Jung refers to as the shadow, the aspects of ourselves that are suppressed or that are typically not obvious to us. And those include our, our motivations. And I find that many people choose career paths or may launch a business without engaging in these practices, without truly engaging in any semblance of introspection. I remember I once asked a friend who was, he was basically training to become a police officer. And this is before 2014, before I started cultivating mindfulness intentionally. I've always been interested in, in philosophy and I've always asked myself, challenging questions. And I would periodically ask others challenging questions. So I asked him, why do you want to become a police officer? And by this point, he was already in the midst of training to become a police officer. And he thought about it for a minute. He said, I'm still trying to figure that out. Police officers have, based on my research and the work that I'm doing with um, Operation Prefrontal Cortex, which I'm sure we'll talk about. We'll come back over that. Soon, yeah. Police officers experience the highest suicide rates and incredibly high rates of anxiety, depression, and PTSD, that doesn't seem like a, a career path that anyone ought to jump into haphazardly or without some deep introspection. But people do that all the time. They launch businesses without having insights into their true motivations or why they're launching the business or how the business could potentially benefit them or humanity or without thinking about if the business is a reflection of their, their skills and talents. So I see this on a daily basis. People work for companies 
almost randomly. Why did you choose this career path? Why is this the trajectory that you're on? Mindfulness will provide individuals the space to ask and answer those questions. Yeah, understanding your own core motivations. Uh, I, mean, I think, I mean, it's, it's funny, that entire, I'm still trying to figure that out. You know, I look at that as being almost a default experience for most people in university in Canada, right? They get to a level, they do what they're supposed to be doing or think they're supposed to be doing, go into a program. And many of them graduate from a program without knowing what they want to do with their lives still. And it's, it's uh, you know, we don't spend enough time actually picking our own direction. So there are many other things I want to come on to in, in terms of, and I do want to get back to prefrontal cortex, operation prefrontal cortex. But one thing I want to touch on before we move on to that is I want to talk about how the brain structure is actually affected by mindfulness because this is an utterly fascinating uh, con- like just concept altogether. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what happens through the cultivation of mindfulness, uh, whether that mindfulness stems from mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, or which is otherwise known as meta meditation or flow states, is the amygdala, the fight, flight, freeze part of the brain over time uh, starts to shrink it becomes less dominant. And then the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that oversees executive functioning, complicated decision-making, and logic, that becomes more dominant and starts to grow. So that's crucial for small business owners and entrepreneurs, especially in high-pressure situations. In high-pressure situations, biologically, we tend to overly rely on the amygdala. The, The amygdala is designed to create safety to get us out of dangerous situations. But if you're in a complicated negotiation, or if you're in the process of making a sale, or if you're recruiting someone, it may not be in your best interest to be relying on your amygdala to the degree that it wants to, wants you to rely on it. And mindfulness can help entrepreneurs and small business owners to think clearly in such high pressure situations. The structures of the brain will actually change over time in as little as eight weeks of uh, daily mindfulness meditation. And it's, you know, it's, it's like so many other parts of your body or life, what grows strong is what you practice, right? And if you're constantly responding in a flight or flight mechanism, you're going to be very strong at doing that and very poor getting out of that. And the funny thing about that is that, of course, that, that amygdala is like the older evolutionary part of our brain from when we were very early on, whatever form of animal we were before we evolved into humanity. And for prefrontal cortex is the newer part, right? The ones that deal with the more complex tasks and whatever that are more common to human society. Yet it's, you know, these two things do not play well together, right? It's a, the amygdala is often referred to as our lizard brain, right? Getting back to that. And if we don't learn to control it, we will be dominated by like, like all animals are. So let's talk about getting started in mindfulness. So what are your general kind of pieces of advice for people getting started? I would say to start to aim low in regards to cultivating mindfulness, to aim low, aim to meditate. If you've never meditated before, aim to meditate for a minute. Sit Mm -hmm. down, meditate for a minute, Google how to meditate, download the Calm app or whichever app you prefer. Look up guided meditations on YouTube, aim to meditate for a minute, maybe once every few days, and then gradually increase your volume of meditation as you become more comfortable. Because if you've never meditated before, it can be very uncomfortable, very challenging, very confronting, because all of your stuff, uh, your deepest fears, your insecurities, the physical sensations in your body that lead you to feel uncomfortable, you're going to be confronted with all of that. And it could be overwhelming to face all of that for 10, 15, 20 minutes right off the bat. 
So start small and gradually increase your volume of meditation. Also, socializing and sharing your experiences with like-minded people will increase your probability of sustaining your mindfulness practices. So finding other small business owners, entrepreneurs, colleagues that are interested in meditating or that already meditate, seeking mentors online that cultivate mindfulness on a daily basis can be uh, hugely beneficial. Then there's also indirect virtual mentors through the apps that I mentioned before. Yeah. And there's several quite valuable ones out there. I'll also say this much from personal experience. I honestly felt like the first while doing it, it was an exercise in, in failure, non-judgmental failure, because you have to remind yourself not to judge yourself for that, because the exercise is about clearing your mind, first and foremost, right? And of course, you can enter thoughts into that and, and ponder them. But first and foremost, it's about trying to create clarity. And, and it is amazing, until you sit down and try to clear your mind, you don't realize just how busy your mind is. And even, you know, I remember someone saying, like, even Tibetan monks doing this stuff for a long time, you know, maybe they go 30 seconds. With not without a thought, right? Because you'll sit there with your eyes closed and thoughts will come from everywhere. And it's just learning, it's about learning to push them aside and, and focus on, on the core. So do not expect this to be as much as it sounds like easy to sit down, close your eyes, and breathe. Do not discount that it will be a learning curve like anything else. But once you cross a certain threshold, it's something that becomes less, not so much frustrating as rewarding. And it doesn't take that long if you commit yourself to it. So those are my words of guidance. Now let's talk about the various initiatives you're involved with, because you're involved with a number of um, kind of community initiatives, many of them around mindfulness. And let's, let's bring light to some of these because there are valuable um, organizations. So let's talk about Operation Prefrontal Cortex first. Right. Um, I'm the art director for Operation Prefrontal Cortex. So we were founded by Julian Christian Lutz, who is professionally known as Director X and his longtime friend, Danelle Adams. We're a mindfulness and meditation organization and program designed to reduce gun violence, police violence, and mass violence in Toronto through mindfulness and meditation. And um, that organization came to fruition because Julian was hosting a New Year's Eve party, a suit and tie New Year's Eve party in the King West District of Toronto at a very nice venue. Someone ended up pulling a gun out on the dance floor, shooting someone. The bullet went through that individual's back and hit Julian. Surprisingly, he was able to get on a flight the next day and uh, there wasn't any damage done to any of, any of his vital organs. He's considered by many to be the most prolific music video director in, in Canadian history. So that would have been a, a major loss had he have been killed or paralyzed. Uh, in any case, once he worked through the trauma of that, he started thinking about the variables that would contribute to someone coming to a party and discharging a, a gun on the dance floor. And by through his interest in science, he started reading different studies on the neuroscience of meditation, the neuroscience of violence, how meditation can mitigate violent impulses in the brain, and so on and so forth. And he learned that most violent individuals, their brains are highly deregulated. Their amygdala, their fight-flight response has gone haywire and their prefrontal cortex hardly enters the equation. That's why many people who are very violent, they black out and they simply default to lashing out violently. And he learned that that propensity comes from living in or growing up in environments that are traumatic or that involve a great deal of abuse and neglect. So mindfulness and meditation can change the violent propensities in the brain of, brains of these individuals. And the other component is 
changing the structures of the society that we live in so children aren't growing up in environments where, wherein they're neglected or abused. In any case, our organization is in the process of collaborating with the City of Toronto to implement our mindfulness-based police program throughout the Toronto police services and hopefully through other police departments in the GTA so that police officers are meditating. And we aim to also bring our mindfulness-based programming into the Toronto District School Board and other school boards. We've partnered with an organization called Mindfulness Every Day, and they're already in the Toronto District School Board. They've been doing, they've been teaching mindfulness to students of all ages, teachers, and many other communities for over 20 years. So they're well-versed and they they oversee um, much of that programming. And we also have a program for first responders. And based on the research that we've done and similar, based on the on similar programs in other parts of the world, we strongly believe that getting students, teachers, police officers, and first responders to meditate on a daily basis will significantly reduce the gun violence, mass violence, and police violence in Toronto. The gun violence in Toronto has been increasing steadily since 2016. It's becoming a real problem. There have been very shocking shooting incidents in public areas in broad daylight. At this point in Toronto's history, almost anyone can get hit by a stray bullet. doesn't matter how affluent you are or what neighborhood you live in. So we're deeply concerned by this. And, we, and we, the science shows that meditation works when it's practiced frequently, that it, it renders individuals of all ages less violent, less impulsive. For, based on my personal experiences, there are no downsides. So we'd like to see all the populations that I mentioned meditating on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, where is the downside taking the time to clear your thoughts and take a breath and take a deep breath for 10 minutes? Like where, where is the downside? There is no downside other than the sacrificing of a small chunk of time and the potential upside. I mean, put aside the science for a minute, right? We can all use the time to catch our breaths. We all think, I think we can all agree that that sort of five minutes to 10 minutes to think to yourself is of value to all of us. You throw the science on top of it that shows that it is super beneficial to you. And, you know, the, meanwhile, the counter, the, the counter argument being that, you know, people who are under immense stress and have these basic, have all these difficulties, it technically actually, quote unquote, temporarily lowers their IQ, making them actually less likely, less able to make proper decisions. There is no downside. So, I mean, not only am I a consumer of this belief in that I know I practice it, but also I just, I espouse to it all the time because again, I, when I'm pushing people to do it, it's like, tell me what you're going to lose here. You're not going to lose anything, but you might gain. So, um, valuable, valuable initiative. I'm glad to see you working on it. Any other, uh, I know you're involved in a ton of stuff. Is there anything else you want to profile while we're, while we're talking? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a journalist for Thrive Global, which was founded by um, Arianna Huffington, who I view as a colleague and a mentor. She founded it in 2016 after experiencing extreme periods of burnout. There was one point where she burned out so badly that she passed out at her desk, broke many bones in her face while falling and had a seizure. So Thrive Global was birthed from incidents like that. And the platform exists to help executives and entrepreneurs to avoid burnout and other forms of uh, neuroses. So I I write for Thrive Global and do research for, for those articles. I joined an organization called Project Healthy Minds in the United States, which uh, helps individuals find 
the mental health resources that they need, especially if they lack in support within their communities or within their, their business or, or work environments. We were recently announced publicly on NBC's Today Show with uh, Carson Daly a few weeks ago. The rapper Logic is one of our partners, and he's one of the most well-known mental health advocates in the United States. So I'm, I'm grateful to have joined the Project Healthy Minds team as a, as a content creator, creating visuals through photography and filmmaking. As I mentioned before, I've, I've worked with Calm. And uh, I recently wrote an article on mindfulness for the, for the Toronto Star. So very grateful to, to represent Toronto and to share this message of, of mindfulness and introspection with the masses. And I, I have other things in the works that I, I plan on sharing uh, with audiences in the future, but those are some of the most important mental health projects that I'm involved in. Yeah, well, I think most people are fortunate to find one passion in life. You clearly found two, your arts and, and your, your mindfulness uh, work, not just mindfulness, but your mental health advocacy. So uh, Johnny, I thank you for this time. I thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. Where can people find you if they want to learn more? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a great conversation and I, I, feel, I feel renewed and inspired by, by our talk. I'm available on LinkedIn. Look me up. Johnny Charles. Uh, my portfolio is www.ajani.ca. And all of my social media handles are Ajani Photo, A J A N I P H O T O, at Ajani Photo. Well, thank you yet again. Take care. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. So that was my interview with Ajani Charles on mindfulness. I hope you enjoyed that. And I sincerely hope you took everything we said to heart and you know, if you haven't ever done this, please do so. I mean, like I said, when you commit yourself to it, plenty of upside, both as a business owner and frankly, as a human being. So take the time. Once again, if you enjoyed this podcast, always leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you your podcast. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.